Welcome back to the First and Beard College Football Podcast. My name is Dylan Callen Crowley, and I'm joined by the one and only Anthony Hazan. Today is the fifth episode of the First and Beard Podcast. And while we usually talk recruiting with you guys, we're going to talk just general college football news today. And there's a lot going on, to say the least, not just in college football, but in the sports world. NASCAR returned uh, two weekends ago at Darlington. Soccer returned overseas. We have talks of baseball returning in July, basketball returning at the end of July or early August. Hockey's having talks. Everything's going well in the sports world. Doesn't it feel great? Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is what we've been waiting for, right? This is that uh that glimmer of hope that we've been waiting for, that things would eventually come back around and that we could start feeling like we're going to get back into sports again. So I'm excited for it. It's the greatest feeling in the world. Uh, and since we bring that up, the college football tie to that is last week on, I think, Wednesday it was, uh, the NCAA uh, voted that schools starting June 1st, just, what, nine days from now, Anthony? Uh, eight days from now, not eight, nine days from now, uh, will be able to return to volunteer workouts for college football as well as men's and women's basketball Uh Definitely a big step forward here, Anthony. Absolutely. That's a huge step in the right direction. I mean, that's probably the first step that needed to be taken. You know, cases, I believe, are starting to go down in terms of prevalence all around the country, which is obviously the best sign. It means that we're slowly starting to hopefully trend away from the coronavirus and students can and athletes can start getting back on cam- campus and focusing on, you know, their sports. And that's a good sign for college football. I, I fully agree. Um uh, since then, uh, most conferences have come out and said uh, when they'll allow student-athletes in their respective uh, conferences to return to uh, campus. Uh, obviously, it's ultimately up to each and every university. Uh, but some notables here are the SEC is going to allow athletes to start using facilities on June 8th, so a week after the NCAA uh, clears them to. The Big Ten has decided they're going to let the individual schools decide when to return uh, to campus for their student-athletes. The Big 12 has a three-phase uh, program set for student-athletes to return starting on June 15th. Um, while the Pac-12, uh, Larry Scott, the commissioner of the Pac-12, has said uh, he believes student-athletes would be safer on campus than at home. They haven't said anything in terms of when student-athletes can return. And then finally with the ACC, uh, I don't think they've made any official announcement or date in which student-athletes can return, but uh, Louisville has set to return their student-athletes, at least football-wise, on June 8th. Um, So it seems like, Anthony, by uh, the third week of June here, we're going to see most schools, or I should say most conferences, having a a majority of their uh, student-athletes back on campus. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, that... You know, that's a great sign for things. I look at that statement, the uh, the Pac-12, the uh, commissioner of the Pac-12 said, how student athletes would be safer on campus than at home. What's your take on that? Because I feel like that's something that I read and immediately to me, like, you know, I kind of ro- raised an eyebrow at that. Of Like, are they really? Yeah, very, very much. Uh, it's a very much interesting comment because if you think about it, coronavirus, uh, majority of the cases that we've had in the United States have come through communal uh have been community cases, so spread, just spreading from person to person inside a community. 
while being at home for some of these athletes maybe mean living in a city or something usually most of these athletes are just staying at home uh, unless they're outside for a run or working out uh, obviously not in a gym but doing what they can outside if they return to campus they're going to be interacting with how god knows how many people each and every day and i feel like that just increases the chances of a community outbreak at one of these universities uh though I, it certainly seems like this is a risk that all the uh, conferences are willing to take here in the upcoming weeks yeah i think it is a risk that these schools are willing to take and to kind of play devil's advocate to what you were saying you know some of these schools and these you know coaches might feel that they can keep a better eye on the on their athletes and what they're doing and where they're going when they're on campus instead of having to check in on them through zoom and everything that's another interesting aspect of all of this as well is that even though you can get all the athletes back on campus you know there's still team meetings and you know all these things that you have to run at the same time you know positional meetings in themselves like how are you going to be able to have all your quarterbacks in the same room together doing a position meeting if one of them gets coronavirus there's not there's nothing saying that all of them might get it and then you're without a quarterback for part of the year so it's going to be interesting to see like even though they get these kids back on campus they're not necessarily going to be together and back to normal again yeah i fully agree and the other thing uh which is worth noting along the same lines is uh, each and every state obviously has different guidelines right now with coronavirus. Some are more open than others, like here in Pennsylvania, for example. Right now, uh, Center County, where Penn State is located, is in what Pennsylvania is calling the yellow phase, meaning uh, there's uh, certain restrictions, uh, only up to 25 people. Center County is probably moving to a, the green phase here in the next week or so. Uh, but that being said, there's still going to be restrictions of how many people can be in a group together. You're not going to be able to have more than one position group working out at a time. Uh, the other thing, uh, which I think is worth questioning here, is uh, some schools have already stated, like Rutgers, they're not returning to campus till August. Uh, sure, they could always come back and say they're going to return uh, in late June or whenever, but... I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out with some schools like Ohio State who plans on returning on June 8th, uh, how they are in their development kind of towards the season compared to a school uh, that may not be coming back to campus till July or even uh, the beginning of August and how that may play out this college football season. I think to a point it may allow for more unpredictableness uh, this upcoming season. I got a question for you. Did Rutgers say that their students aren't coming back until August or that the athletes aren't coming back until August? Or they lumped them both together? I think they lumped them both together. Okay, so yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out too because you know that's going to be a huge disadvantage to Rutgers if they hold pat on that August statement while Ohio State, Penn State, and a bunch of other schools come back in June. Which actually that leads into my next question for you, which was – you know, every conference is taking a different approach on this. And one of the big things that the NCAA as a whole has come out and said is that they are not going to have a universal return date for college football or for students to go back to campus. They're going to leave it up to the conferences itself. Each conference is taking a different approach to that. So the SEC is taking a more like all approach, like you're all allowed back on June 8th. And then the Big Ten is letting schools decide on their own. Do you, which approach do you think is better? Like, should the Big Ten have an approach that says this is the date that every school can come back so that, like, it's fair for all schools to return on the same date? 
or should it be individual, but there might be a little bit of unfair advantage because your school gets back earlier? I I think I think it should be individual. I would say just because each university has a better idea of their what is going around in their community, their state. For like Rutgers located in New Jersey, obviously right in the middle of New Jersey. It's impacted by the New York City metropolitan area, which it's basically part of. It's impacted by Philadelphia. It's in a really bad spot in terms of coronavirus. So them returning in June really may not be feasible from a safety aspect. Ohio, however, has seen much less cases than New Jersey. uh, And it would probably be safer for athletes to return. So I think it is better probably off as individual. And some schools are just going to have to accept uh, that their teams may not be where they expected it to be this upcoming season because of that. Yeah, I was very back and forth on that whole discussion because you want it to be as fair as possible for every team. Definitely. But, you know, this isn't a fair situation no matter how you spin it. So there's going to be certain things that teams are going to have to sacrifice. And, you know, that's just all part of the situation of the pandemic. But, yeah, I think you made some great points there. And I fully agree that I think it has to be individual regardless of whether or not it's fair. Yep. Uh, and before we move on to our next topic here, I think uh, as we're talking about coronavirus and how it's going to impact the season, as of right now, what do you think is the more likely option? We see teams uh, play a full 12-game schedule or we see teams uh, play uh, conference only? I think at this point, I think we'll see teams probably shift towards conference only just because I know a lot of schools, for example, like for the academic year, they're trying to start like early August and then end around Thanksgiving yep. break. Which, which may I point out, and it's it's very coincidental, and it's just to stop, uh, really from students returning, uh, back to campus after going home. Uh, but Thanksgiving is when usually the college football season ends as well. For that is true. Season. So maybe it doesn't necessarily have to change anything. Maybe they can fit the whole season in, and that would be to every team's benefit, especially the smaller, you know you know, a group of five teams that get a lot of money from going to get their butts kicked at bigger schools. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I do think as of right now, they might start to shift towards only playing the conference season. Which, but that, that would definitely also hurt those group of five and uh, even FCS schools that get paid 500,000, 600,000, a million dollars to go to these P5 yeah, that's exactly what I that's exactly what to I said. get their butt kicked I mean oh, oh okay then I it, it came through uh wrong on my uh audio so that's my bad but yeah then fully agree there um it, it's gonna suck for those g5 schools and FCS schools if that happens but from a safety aspect that may be what's uh best possible also you see uh the western states kind of I don't want to say unionizing, but all those West Coast states have kind of said they're going to move together in the coronavirus response and all. And um, if they don't feel comfortable play, playing a football season in uh, early fall, but the rest of the country is, we may see a thing where the Pac-12 may have to play their own little season, just conference. Uh, at a different time than how would the rest that work? Because I know, for country. example, Ohio State 
is scheduled to play Oregon like week one or two of their season at Oregon. So would like any West Coast games be canceled? I think that or would they be I rescheduled. Think, How would that work? I, uh, I well, I think part of it is we're gonna probably know by I'd say July when these schools are if the. I'd say we know by early July, mid-July, if there'll be a college football season on time and it, who all is going to play. If if the, I think that's when we have to know. So if, not, if for example, Oregon would and the Pac-12 would say, we can't start on time, but the rest of the country is like, we're starting on time, that would give Ohio State a month to find a replacement for Oregon. That is not a lot of time, for Oregon. but... <laughs> It's not a lot of time, but we've already seen Alabama begin discussing with other programs uh, in the case that USC it's can't true. I forgot play about that. That's another big opener. game to start off the season. So I I think by early July or mid-July is when we need to know uh, who's all going to be playing. Because while it's not a huge amount of time for these ADs to find new opponents, it's probably enough time uh, to scramble and find somebody. So instead of um, Alabama and USC or Ohio State and Oregon, is there a chance we get Alabama versus Ohio State to begin the season? Can you imagine that? Would that would be a crazy opening, opening week, week game? game. I didn't even think about that. I don't care if the, I don't care. If there's no fans or if there's no fans, limited fans, or fans or stadiums are full. It's definitely not going to be a third. I think number two is likely, but even if there's no fans in the stadium, I would, I would definitely be watching Ohio State versus that Alabama. Would be crazy. One of that I want to say happened. one more thing before we move on to the next topic. But the bottom line is sure. we have to have a season. Sure, you know, athletic departments of especially smaller schools would not survive. We're already seeing yes. the effect of this. I know. Um, just the other day, I saw on ESPN that East Carolina University is cutting four of their athletic sports teams to make up for the fact that they're losing so much revenue. I forget. I didn't see which four it was, but they're cutting four of them. It's affecting like 60-something scholarship players at the university. It's, it's awful. Um, I know Bowling Green, I believe, cut their baseball program. That That's done. So, yeah, there's, there's a huge – there's already a big um, residual effect to all of this. And if we don't have a college football season, it's going to get so much worse. Yep, and let's move on to our next topic, which uh, is an old topic, we'll both admit. Uh, it's something that we've kind of had on our list to discuss, but never really got to, and that's uh, a couple of weeks ago, the NCAA did say that starting in 2021-2022, NCAA athletes will be allowed to be compensated. Now, what this means is uh, athletes will be able to be compensated for their name, image, and likeness, and also will be able to receive payments for things such as appearances, endorsements, and other uh, such uh, opportunities that could be provided to them. Um, now, this also means schools are not allowed to uh, pay the players themselves, so these all have to be outside endorsements and such, uh, as well as student-athletes cannot be wearing uh, any school apparel, their uniform, or anything like that in a uh, commercial so if Trevor Lawrence was in a Nike commercial, he couldn't be uh, wearing a Clemson sweatshirt if he was still a student athlete. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence will not be in college football in 2021, 2022. 
uh, but just an example. So, Anthony, what's your first thoughts on uh, players finally allowed to be compensated for their name, image, and likeness? Well, obviously, I'll start off by saying that this is the right thing to do. You know, they're going to have to shift towards this eventually. You know, we saw in with college basketball how um, the NBA is adapting the G League and paying them more players. So, like, college basketball was going to get pushed in this direction regardless. So it only makes sense that college football was also directed this way as well. And I think the whole key to this is going to be how do they control the recruiting aspect of it? I really do think recruiting is going to hold the entire key because they need to find a way to enforce it so that you cannot benefit off your name until you are enrolled in campus. Because what's to stop boosters for a university to pay kids to basically commit to a school and give them endorsements once they get to school. So if they can find a way to police that aspect of it to prevent kids from just jumping on the best monetary offer to commit somewhere, I think this could be a huge success. Fully agree. Uh, the only thing I would say that uh, to go off that is uh, boosters and bag men always find a way. So I think that that'll be hard to police because what's uh, like you've basically said, stopping a booster from saying to an athlete, if you come to this school, we'll make sure you have a however much amount uh, endorsement opportunity lined up for you uh, once you get to campus. Uh, so I think that's the only thing that really I have to go off that. Uh, but it's definitely, I think, the right move for the NCAA to make. This was going to happen sooner or later. Obviously, there's a lawsuit, I think, coming out of California uh, from uh, the state or something like that about athletes being able to make money off their name, image, and likeness. Uh, so I think for the NCAA, this came down to wanting to make the decision for themselves, kind of be like, hey, we're the good guys here. We said this could happen and not have it happen because they got sued. Because if they got sued, they were going to – well, they did get sued. If that went to court, they were going to lose that lawsuit eventually and it was going to cause, and this would have been the end result anyway. So this way, they kind of save face, they save money, and they look like the good guys for a little bit. Yeah, I agree. You know, this is what they needed to do. And we've talked about this before about how, you know, there are plenty of college athletes that, you know, sometimes they just don't have a lot of money. They really can't afford to sometimes even get food for themselves. So, you know, this is a great way for them to finally be able to afford to live like college students because normal college students are allowed to get jobs. They're allowed to make money for themselves on the side so that they can buy food and all that. So why couldn't college athletes have a way, especially on a college athlete schedule, you know, between school and football or whatever sport they play, you don't really have time to work a side job. It's, this makes sense for them that, you know, these people are celebrities, you know, like guys like Tre Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Micah Parsons, they're national names. There's no reason why, as long as there's no attachment to like the school itself, there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to go make money off of themselves, off their own faces, their own names. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine the money that uh, like Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart, uh those guys would have made in the in at the peak of USC's days, they would have been making, obviously wouldn't have been making millions, but they would have been rolling in money all day long. They probably Didn't already Reggie were, Bush literally lose his still. Heisman Trophy over that? <laughs> yes. But can you imagine how much more money he would have made I'm sure if he it was legitimate and allowed? 
I think like from a Penn that was a Penn State student, obviously. I went to Penn State during the time of Saquon Barkley. And I think of just how big Saquon was already. I can only imagine how much bigger of a name he would have been, not just at Penn State, but nationally, if he could have promoted himself while he was still in school. And you see him in commercials all the time right now, and that would have started years before. Yeah, and uh, moving on with this topic, there is uh, one unfortunate thing to report out of it, and that's uh, according to Sports Illustrated's Elizabeth Swinton, who uh, I believe uh, who wrote up an article on it. Uh, there was a conference call with the Big East Commissioner, Commissioner uh, Val Ackerman, and he uh, said that uh, while, despite this um, new regulation by the NCAA, an NCAA video game is still unlikely due to the lack of a CBA slash players union that exists for most sports video games. So basically, his exact quote was, it was the group's conclusion that group licenses, which would combine school trademarks with student-athlete name, image, and likeness in products like video games, replica jerseys, trading cards, are unworkable, unworkable in a college setting largely because of the absence of a collective bargaining agency to manage the terms of group NILs used on the behalf of the student-athletes. So I guess that's really the only downside of this is while many thought this would mean the return of NCAA football, it seems like we're, we're still just as far from NCAA football as we were. All right, you, that was a lot of words, so I just want to clarify. You said that the, the lack sure. of like a union between the players is like the big issue that prevents a video game? It's a lack of a union and lack of a CBA. So how do we create a union or a CBA? Because I really want a video game. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, that's a great question. I think I think it would be extremely hard in the college setting because uh, at that point you'd have to it would have to be the players gathering around to say, hey, we're create we're creating a union here. Uh, to do that, and I think uh, wasn't it Northwestern players a few years ago? I remember, I remember that there's something to do with Northwestern players. The Northwestern Northwestern players wanted to union up. If that ever happened, if college football athletes as a whole ever somehow came up and was able to form a union, and the uh, trying to find out. And the National Labor Relations Board agreed to make them a union. That's when we could get a college football video game back. Hey, I'll say Northwestern, they're, they're all the smart kids. So if any school could do it, Stanford, Vanderbilt, Duke, Northwestern, come on down. I know one of you guys can get it done. But, you know, obviously that'd be pretty tough to do, like you said. And, you know, from a selfish perspective, I would love to have a new NCAA football video game. I've always been... An NCAA football 12 fan. Don't ask me why. The recruiting's just more realistic and I like it better. But I've been playing that a lot recently. And yeah, I would love an updated version of it. So what's your favorite NCAA, Dylan? Let's just go on that tangent real quick. Ever, it would have to be like 06 or 07 when they still had the college game day intro to the game. Uh, but I, I just go with NCAA 14 all the time just because I can download updated rosters. Shout out to all those who still update that game. Uh, you saved my life. Oh, my yeah, Operation Sports Forums, you're a real one. Here's a fun fact, though. I saw the other day that NCAA Football 14 is actually selling online for around $150 right now. 
Yeah. I have NCAA football yeah. 14, so I've been seriously considering if I should sell it or not. Because once they make a new one, that that price is obviously going to plummet to down to zero. That's true. Uh, un- unfortunately, uh, I have the digital copy of NCAA 14, uh, so I can't sell my copy. But uh, I'm also really glad I have the digital copy because I was able to get the digital copy right before all the NCAA games disappeared off the PlayStation Store. Uh, so thankfully I have mine uh, safekeeping. Plus I always lose the discs or the cases. So uh, don't have to worry about that. Um, I think that takes away that topic, which brings us to our last topics of the evening, which is uh, there's been a few notable transfers by a few, I mean, Three notable transfers that have happened in about the last week or so. I think we should go over those. Uh, so the first one is one that I think everybody who follows college football will know about right now. And uh, that is Tua's younger brother. Do you want me to say the name, Dylan? Because I know you can't. <laughs> I'm going to butcher it. I said, I, I said it fine in the... Uh, in the previously recorded episode of this, but uh, I, I'm blanking on the his first name now. But Talia Tagovailoa uh, is going from Alabama to Maryland, uh, going from the SEC to the Big Ten. He's obviously going and going back to his former off. I don't think he was ever his offensive coordinator, but uh, a man who recruited him to Alabama. Mike Locks. Yeah, I think for for Maryland, listen, I, I don't know what to make of Talia. You know, obviously he hasn't played that much in very limited action for Alabama. I believe he was like 9 of 10 for like 173 yards, somewhere around there. But, you know, he played against like Western yeah. Carolina and like lower opponents. So it wasn't a true reflection of who like he is as a player. But, you know, for Maryland, listen, they needed a quarterback. Obviously, if you watched them play at all last year, their quarterback play was abysmal. Josh Jackson Josh Jackson was not a good quarterback. You know, you don't know what you have with um, Lance yeah. LeJohn yet. You don't know if he's good or, you know, he, he, could, he has the potential to be good, but no one's really seen much from him yet. They haven't played him much because their offensive line is terrible. But... You know, this is. I think this is a solid pickup for Maryland. I don't know if it's going to be a program-changing quarterback, though. I don't think he's. Well, he's definitely not his older brother. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, and it'll be interesting to see if he gets a waiver this year. That's what I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to that very much myself this year. Uh, and my question about this is, does this really change that much for Maryland for the foreseeable future? Because, like you said. Uh, they brought in. Yeah, I agree, Anthony. Uh, I agree with everything they said there. I my big question is, does this change anything really for the foreseeable future for Maryland? I mean, they brought in uh, Jackson from Virginia Tech last year, and he got completely ruined by this Maryland system. I mean, while he is a big name, and Maryland fans should feel good about it from a recruiting standpoint. There's nothing to me that says this is going to be a game changer for Maryland. And that goes back to the point that I don't think Mike Loxley is that good of a head coach. He's a great recruiter, not good of a head coach. Listen, I've always said Mike Loxley is a hell of a recruiter. And clearly he's selling something that, you know, at least some DMV kids are buying. Some of the higher ones anyway. He'll definitely get like the uh, the mid three-star, you know, maybe even high three-star DMV kids to buy into his movement, quote-unquote. But yeah. You know, he'll get some four stars as well, 
and the occasional five star with a kid like Rakeem Jarrett. So he'll recruit well, is yep. what I'm trying to say. But you know, from the X's and O's standpoint, he leaves a lot to be desired. And nobody knows with Talia what he is yet, like I said. And there was a lot of people that thought he would end up moving down to like South Florida, like maybe Miami or FIU, which is like a rising program down there, a school like that yeah. to be closer to his family, because you know, obviously with his with the tag of Vailoa's family is so important they literally relocated from hawaii to tuscaloosa to be able to watch tua and even talia play yeah. so i'm surprised that he is moving away from his family to go to college park do you think uh the family will follow tua or uh baby tua as i like to call him because you can't say talia Shut up. <laughs> i can say talia yeah you could say it now because i've it's said just, it three you just times say ba- it's just easier to say Baby Tua. I think I think it would make more sense to follow the youngest one, to follow Talia, because, I mean, Tua's an, you'd think Tua's so. an adult now. I mean, Tua's a big boy. He can handle himself. Why do I feel like this is like the f- college football version of, like, LeVar Ball, except they're not troublemaking family? Like, LeVar Ball, LeVar Ball was, like, outspoken. Uh, I mean, I mean, there is that, there is that controversial report, uh, or not even report a uh, thing that came out a few years ago about how uh, their dad would uh, beat Tua with a belt when he had bad games. Okay, we're not gonna go there, but um, we're not gonna go there. But there, there, there's controversy there. All I'm saying is like the Ball brothers, you know, with basketball, you know, like obviously Tua's father is an outspoken, so it's not a direct comparison. Yeah. But you know that family is very close. Lavar tends to move around with his sons, so. It feels very similar to that, except it's a little different. I I, I fully agree, um, and yeah. Uh, so to answer my own question, question, I don't think this changes much uh, for Maryland because they can recruit as well as they want all day, all week, all month, all year, forever, however long the Mike Loxley era goes on. But then the day, there's never been a time that Mike Loxley has looked to be a good coach on the field. Sure, Maryland had a great start this past year, but once they got into Big Ten play and started facing actual quality teams, they started getting their butts whooped up and down the field all day. The man's six and forty as a head coach. I know New Mexico isn't this great program by any stretch of the imagination, but if you can't win more than two games in New Mexico, how are you going to win six, seven, eight plus games at Maryland when you have to go up against the likes of? Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State, Ohio State, Nebraska, Wisconsin, all those schools every single year. Yeah, I mean, Maryland's going to be a bottom of the Big Ten team this year. I mean, they're going to be at best four and eight. You know, even with even if Talia gets a waiver, I don't see them being better than four and eight. They just they have so many holes on that team, and that's a multi-year rebuild. Yeah, this this gets them over the hump of not losing by thirty-five to those big three teams, but maybe losing by 28. I mean, good for Talia, and I hope he goes out and makes his own legacy because as I do call him Baby Tua, it has to suck living under the shadow of your brother because one, your brother just went top five in the NFL draft. He was the poster child of college football for the last two, three years. He played at Alabama. I mean... You're you're under the shadow of your brother. Uh, for no matter what he does, he's gonna be under the shadow of his brother for the foreseeable future. So I hope he goes and may, builds his own legacy, and it's good for him. But 
I've also seen a lot of Mar- Maryland fans thinking this makes them a competitive team in the Big Ten, and I still think it makes them just maybe a little bit better. But they're not, they're nowhere near competing, I think, for even a 500 season next year. Yeah, listen, I know you need a good quarterback to be competitive in college football. You look at all the, the best teams, they all have elite quarterbacks. But I truly believe that with any football team, you build from the inside out. And that's both on offense and defense. So Maryland's offensive line last year was so bad, and they're not getting any better this year. So even if they had a stud quarterback back there that could make all the plays, he'd still get his butt beat back there, and he'd be running for his yeah. life because his offensive line couldn't protect him. And Tali yeah. is not the second coming of Tua. We don't know. Just because he shares the same last name as him doesn't mean that he's going to yeah. beat him. And, and I think it's pretty widely accepted that he – was probably a little overrated coming out of high school because of his last name. Like, he was still a very good Power 5 quarterback prospect, but I don't think he was a top 200 player in the country if you watch his film. And at the end of the day, it, he's ne- I feel bad for him because at the end of the day, he's always going to be compared to his brother, and there's no way he's ever going to live up to his brother. Yeah, it'll. It, you know, I hope he, you know... I hope he's productive. I hope he, you know, can make his own legacy. And I wish him the best. Yep. I wish him the best of luck. Yep. And let's move on to our next uh, transfer. Um, Real Mitchell, a former Iowa State quarterback out of St. John Bosco's in California, who uh, was also of notable QB one on Netflix fame. Uh, he's now going to Temple, so the Owls have picked up a nice quarterback here. Uh, to be the eventual starter probably to current redshirt senior Anthony Russo. Mitchell's a good dual-threat quarterback. I know, Anthony, you don't know as much about him as I do. Uh, But overall, I think this is a great pickup uh, for the Owls. Uh, Mitchell, uh, he has pretty good legs on him. He has a good arm. He didn't really get to finish out his college football, I mean, high school football career probably as he probably would have liked due to – having a rather notable five-star quarterback behind him on the St. John Bosco's death chart. Um, and I'm going to butcher his name, so you want to say it for me, Anthony? DJ Uyangalele. These Hawaiian names, man. I can't get them. I can say Mariota, though. Uh, it's called it's called practice, buddy. You just got to practice it beforehand until you get it. <laughs> uh, I'll work on it for next episode. Um but, uh, yeah, so good pickup here for Temple Coach Rod Carey. I think it has high upside. Definitely not a move that uh, hurts. So uh, I, I think it's a nice pickup for the Owls. Uh, we'll see what he does uh, probably a year from now since I think he'll probably uh, not get a waiver. And Though if he does, I think he'll probably back up this year uh, and then take over the range from Russo for the 2021 season. And then the final transfer of note today is uh, – uh, Jerry and Jones, former Mississippi State wide receiver, Anthony? Yes, he's a former Mississippi State player, and he has transferred, surprisingly enough, to Mississippi State's biggest rival. So Ole Miss has picked him up. This is more interesting, not necessarily because of him. He's a solid player, but just because of the fact that he transferred from one rival to another. So what's, what's your thoughts on yep. that? That's pretty rare that you see something like that. First of all, first of all, my apologies. I said wide receiver. I meant safety. 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is going to definitely add a little bit of a different flair to the... Is he, uh, is he a grad transfer? I'm actually not sure if what? he's a grad transfer. Let's see. He Last year he was a... Fr- no, no. This is... So, it'll add a flair to the egg ball for him, at least for the next few years, uh, as soon as he gets to start playing. Uh, and that egg ball is already going to be fun, having Mike Leach go up against uh, Lane Kiffin for the next, for foreseeable future. Sign me up. Um, yeah, but you don't get to see this. This is basically a kid going from uh, Ohio State to Michigan, or vice versa. I mean, I, w- I, so, I wouldn't put I, I lo- the egg bowl on like that kind of track. They hate they, I mean, they hate each other just as much as Ohio State hates Michigan. Oh, definitely, it's more amplified because they're both in the same state. So, so at that, so in that aspect, it's pretty much the same. Yeah, I guess so. But what, what's your opinion on that? I don't know if I directly asked that yet, but like, what's your opinion on a kid going from one rival to another? Should like, uh, should that just be something ethically that you don't do? Uh, I don't think it breaks anything ethically. I think if. Ole Miss presented him a case that he will be able to make an impact there and have a better career uh, there than he would have had at some other schools, then I'm all for it. Uh, I'm, I'm all for players going wherever they want to play. Uh, it's just you go from, quote-unquote, hating somebody to having to love them, really. So Yeah, I, I get that perspective. If, if he's able to make that transition, and at the same point, you got to go from playing to loving guys you played with to, you know, don't necessarily have to hate them. But at the end of the day, they're, they're your biggest enemy next year. Yeah, like, listen, I get that perspective of, like, you know, it's not personal, it's business. Like, this kid, you know, he made a business decision to say Ole Miss is going to give me a better opportunity than Mississippi State, so I'm going to go play for Ole Miss. I can respect that from that aspect. But if I'm a Mississippi State player – if I was his teammate and I see him go to my biggest rival, that just adds more fuel to me, to my competitive nature. You know, that gives me an extra reason. There's already enough reason to show up for that game as it I is. Agree. That just gives me an even bigger boost to want to p- play that game. Oh, definitely. I don't know if he'll be eligible this year, but whenever he's eligible to play in that game, he's going to come out with his hair on fire, looking to hit everybody hard and looking to make an impact that uh, both fan bases won't forget. Anytime soon. If he does that, who knows? But can you imagine if he ended up having like the game winning pick six or something? Oh, like, dude, like the storylines would... that could be uh, going into that game for him are going to be amazing. And it'll be obviously it's not going to be the most important storyline whenever the two teams meet up again, but it'll be a notable storyline and something to watch and it'll make it uh, a little bit more exciting, even though it's already That's pretty sure. exciting. That's uh, for sure. Yeah. It's, Thanksgiving games, how can you hate them? Exactly. And uh, so that's my thoughts on that. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on Jerry and Jones? I don't have any thoughts on Jerry and Jones, but I do have one more thought on something that we didn't sure, bring up sure. yet. So so on the topic of transfers, um, recently the NCAA has proposed a one-time transfer rule. I'm sure you've heard uh, about I've it. I've heard plenty so, about um, it. Yes. Yeah, so... Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a diehard college football fan, you could say. It would allow any player currently in the transfer portal to be able to be immediately eligible regardless of their situation. So whether they're a grad transfer or not, they could be able to play right away next year. And they were going to vote on it for this upcoming season, and then they decided to push it 
to next year. So now they're not going to vote on it until the 2021 season, potentially. So what's your take on that? And what's your take on transfers in general? Like, how should that be worked? Um, I, I think... I think the sitting out rule had its advantages um, because it was the one thing stopping quote-unquote free agency from happening. As soon as the NCAA started giving out waivers for every single reason possible, it was it was time to get rid of it. I mean, I'm without naming names or saying specific cases there's plenty of college football players out there who transferred and went to different schools and they got eligible they got eligibility waivers for reasons that they shouldn't have gone and and we know who those players are and then there's players who transferred to other places for good reasons but couldn't get eligibility waivers because they don't make the NCAA money just say it they don't make the, they don't make the NCAA money and they didn't have the best lawyers. I mean, uh, I'm playing it on his name, but the kid who went from the tight end from Georgia, who went home to Indiana because his grandfather is sick. I'm Luke playing it on his name. Luke Ford. Luke and he went Ford. To, and he went to Illinois, not Indiana. Illinois, Illinois, where he's from. Home to Illinois. He's he went home because his grandfather is sick, and then the NCAA didn't give him a waiver. Um. And I don't want to get... Tate Martell went to Miami and got a waiver because basically he wasn't going to play at Ohio State because he's not good. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's, it's an interesting situation. And I do agree that it had its advantages, but there's there's no way that you can, you know, make a reason up for keeping it at this point. Because you no, exactly. because it's like it's completely random who gets a waiver and who doesn't. If it was a standardized yep. system of like, okay, this is the situations where you can get a waiver, these are the situations where you can't, like I think it would make more sense. And to be fair, there is that those type of guidelines, but the NSA seem to barely follow those guidelines at times. Um so as you're saying. Yeah, so, so if they take away the one year transfer rule, you know, what do they do to prevent it from becoming full-on free agency? That's the question that I think about because I yeah. don't know what you do at that point. Uh, yeah, I agree. That being said, the one, the one-time free transfer rule, I'm okay with to a point as long as it it's going to be exploited, obviously. Um, and I guess my ultimate feelings on it will be dependent on how much it is exploited. Uh, but for now, I am fine with coming to that uh, middle place, you could say. But like you said, what's I don't know how long this one-time transfer rule is going to be around because there's still going to be guys who transfer multiple times and get a waiver somehow and take advantage of the NCAA system because the NCAA has no actual uh, guidelines to follow these, even though they say they do. Here's something that I just thought of. Do you do you potentially sure. like so you say you keep the one time transfer rule so you can transfer one time, or you're immediately eligible? Do you make it so that if you transfer again a second time before you're a graduate transfer, it's like you have to sit out two years or something like that? Like, do you make the second transfer a little more harsher to try to prohibit it from happening multiple times where kids are just jumping from school to school just because they're not 
you know, playing right away? Do you do something like that, or is that too harsh? I think two years maybe. I think, yeah, I think two years maybe too too harsh, possibly because. Um, but I think it. I think two years may work depending on the circumstances. Like, say a kid transfers to a university, uh, but their coach leaves right away or right after they get there. I think that player may be trying to find another university to go to. Get Having him sit out two years would be tough because what happens if he's a sophomore? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, it was just something that I just thought of like right off the top of my head. But I think there needs to be some type, maybe a season and a half. Maybe. I think there needs to be some type of more harsher penalty, though, if they do transfer twice. Because I don't want free agency in college football. Because if we get to that point, it's just going to turn into what it is right now, which is basically only five to ten teams, really, who have shot a national title over the year. Uh, and you probably would narrow that down to six teams. Not only that, but who's to say that with you know the name, image, and likeness, the name, image, and likeness thing passing we talked about earlier, who's to say it doesn't just turn into a bidding war? Exactly, it very well might be, and we didn't talk about it during when we were talking about the name, image, image likeness stuff. But did making that decision open up Pandora's box for college football? It, it's a very, it could be a very slippery slope from where they are now, like. For we we very well know that starting in twenty twenty one, college football as we know it has been changed forever. Everything about it will be changed. Recruiting, things on campus, everything will be changed. It could be very easy for the NSA from there to go down a slippery slope, maybe not by choice, but just the way stuff goes, and what go where does it go from there? That's a great question, and that's one that only the NCAA is going to be able to answer. And like I said before, it's all going to depend on how strict the guidelines are and how well they're able to enforce it and stick to it. And if they can somehow enforce it properly, which they have really never done before, but if they can somehow, when their money's on the line, maybe they'll enforce it better. Who knows? But we'll see. Fully agree, and uh, I think that's that's a good place to end our discussion for today. Um, That being said... uh, Going into our next episode, I believe we're going to be starting our season previews. Uh, So our goal is to preview a division of each conference each episode. Uh, Or not each episode, but uh, maybe every other episode. We'll figure it out. But uh, we're going to be starting off with the ACC Atlantic and then doing the ACC Coastal. Uh, But besides that, me and Anthony have been discussing a lot of exciting things about the future of the first and beer podcast and um we're looking forward to the future hopefully we got to get those things done um but i'm looking forward to finally going into uh each and every team breaking down uh breaking it down and really diving into college football because i miss it dearly and now that it looks like we're going to get a season i'm looking forward to it even more um so before before we get going uh be sure to follow us on twitter myself at dylan cc sports anthony at a hazan h-a-z-a-n 51 and then obviously the first and beer college football podcast 
which is at first underscore and underscore beer on Twitter. We'll leave those all in the description so you can follow them. Um, any last comments, Anthony? Yeah, so uh, the first in beer Twitter, be sure to follow us. Uh, we try to uh, retweet and post anything related to college football, related to recruitment, any big news. So if you want to stay, you know, yep. stay updated on all that stuff, be sure to follow our account. Yep, be sure to interact with us on there. Uh, we're really trying to build a nice little following here. Uh, any of those who are part of that following already, we thank you very much. Uh, also, be sure to leave a five-star review on whatever service you're listening to us on. It doesn't have to be a five-star review. I'd like it if it was a five-star review. But any review would be great for us, whatever streaming service you're listening to. Let other college football fans know about us, and we'll build this thing together. Um, like I said, we have a lot of exciting things coming up in the future, and uh, we're hoping to bring those to you uh, sooner than later. Uh, and I feel like the faster we can build an audience, the faster we may be able to do some of those things. So, once again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you in our next episode. See you guys. Thank you, and please stay safe out there.